I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the almost awesome podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Heroes the Number 3 Podcast on all three of them, and leave us a review on wherever you're listening to this. And this week, we are continuing our dive into the Japanese cinema of the early 2000s with the year 2000s, Battle Royale, which is among the highest uh, profile movies we've probably done on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Couple of the big old kung fu ones, um, but this comes from the year 2000 and is directed by Kenji Fukusaku, and stars a whole lot of people. <laughs> um, we, we'll get into a lot of the actors. It's definitely kind of an like there is the main character, but it's kind of like an ensemble cast. But but anyways, it, this is a really cool movie. And Carlos is another pick from you. So what's yeah, your, yeah, you are definitely our sensei on this one. This is like a true heroes three bringing the wisdom to uh, to mm-hmm. Matthew and I. We were both really overdue for watching this movie. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. This is a movie that I've loved for a really long time. But honestly, I hadn't seen it in a lot of, uh, so many years. And um, I, seeing it for the podcast, I'm like, damn, you know what I was thinking about is we did Versus for the last episode. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of hard on it, which is still a fun movie. But um. I thought it was interesting to me going through this movie because Ryuhei Kitamura, that's kind of like his first movie. And for this film, we're covering Kenji Fukusaku. And this is in a lot of, I mean, it's his final film. So you're seeing uh, these two different directors in very mm-hmm. different times of their career. And I think maybe seeing this film after we saw how <laughs> rough Versus is, yeah, <laughs> I think it made me feel that much more um uh excited when i was watching this film because uh it's it's really because yeah the movie is exceptional i feel terrible it's taken me this long to watch (laughs) it i guess i kind of made the mistake of thinking that the sensational things i was hearing about the movie was sort of the main hook of it i didn't realize that there's just like this exceptional cinema um that this whole premise is like woven through and um yeah, incredible acting, great concept, but it also has that it has that kind of excitement I can't put my finger on in like really great kind of tide turning movies where you can feel as it's happening like this is special, this is going to be a like a cultural touchstone, this is going to be mm. a sea change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was just a like a thrill to watch this, man. I think that uh I mean, I'm a huge fan of Japanese cinema and um I think that a lot of uh, the the stuff that I think we would cover, um, I think it'd be great if you're a fan of Japanese cinema, but I honestly don't feel like a lot of the stuff kind of of this caliber would kind of pass in the Western theaters. But I do think that Battle Royale, just just the amount of polish and the pacing and the music and the cinematography, all of that would have been really cool to see in American theaters. And yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Because of the controversy of the film, um, it didn't really officially make its way over to the States till uh, about a decade afterwards. And uh, I mean, 
I saw it, you know, and I'm sure people that wanted to see it saw it in their own ways, but I'm, I'm talking about officially and it was never really banned, but I know that toy was very leery of bringing it over because of the controversy. So, um, well, and the controversy is kind of a shame because, um, yeah, I I think it leaves the impression that the movie fetishizes violence and Mm. that's kind of what it's about and it really isn't it's much more in the spirit of like a twilight zone or um or like a black mirror these days where it's it's like classic sci-fi it's wrestling Mm -hmm. with this extreme concept to really say something deeper about people and about um you know the japanese and global culture at that time it's just yeah awesome i think that it actually has a lot of similarities to stuff like robocop and starship troopers like oh paul dude verhoeven's, totally yeah the paul verhoeven like, kind of stuff yeah this kind of dystopian satire yeah um you see you know they they you see this elaborate premise and you're like there's no way this could happen in real life i mean i, I hope that's true <laughs> yeah but um uh when you see it in the film, it's it's almost like a joke to you at first, and they kind of. Play. But it's not as jokey as Paul Verhoeven's. I was yeah. gonna say be, it's like really Starship like. Trooper is like you could read Starship Trooper in the completely wrong way yeah. because yeah, they play totally. it so completely straight. It's like yeah, it is awesome that we're going to this place and killing a bunch of these aliens. Like yeah, rah rah, we're the best. I think, but this that... this movie is very much like no, this is horrible, and we all hate this. Yeah, I think right. what I'm kind of pulling from is like stuff like the introductory video that yes. they watch no. in the classroom. I completely like agree with you. It's just, mm-hmm. it's but what's great about contrast. it is like that introductory video. Not to get ahead of ourselves, I, I but it's so it. like it's so like much. chilling and terrifying while it really it's funny. Is. It's it's I don't know. The whole tone of this movie is is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it it juggles such a large cast of characters that are for the most part really distinct and drawn really well and Mm -hmm. each end up kind of saying something something different it's yeah super impressive movie um and uh yeah i guess this is this would be a huge recommendation for me i think anyone that has been kind of afraid of the violence of the movie i think first of all the violence has been maybe exaggerated um Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that there that. not that there isn't some extreme violence but like you know you know post kill bill world it's <laughs> it's not you know it's it's nothing that extreme and it doesn't really get to like a cartoony uh place i think yeah. it's also yeah. that it's like 13 14 year old kids that are yeah. at the center of this that totally. really drove and also timing of like the year 2000 mm-hmm. and really the the first school shootings yeah. You know, the first real big school shootings in America that we were talking about, it was, I mean, just a, a terrifying time. I mean, it still is that terrifying time. It's, I guess, sad that um, it's become a little more nor- normalized or something. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, That's I think it's a little, content. it's probably easier to watch Battle Royale now than maybe it was when it came mm-hmm. out. Yeah, That's a good point. Um, uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is that in Japan, when it was, under all this controversy, the director, Kinji Fukusaku, was really um, fighting against it. And I think it's in line with what you're saying. So in this film, he I think he really wanted to por- portray like the effects of war on children without having war directly in the plot. And um, mm. it actually does go in line with a lot of 
his history because he as a child was in the war like world war Two, and there's stories that you can read about him and the suffering that he had to go through so um wow. maybe this was him as a director kind of understanding where he was in his life and wanting to get a message across to the viewers and uh in japan they basically banned teenagers from watching the film and he really wanted to send that message to that audience so wow it's, yeah it's i mean it, it, it's clear that yeah he has like a personal relationship with violence it almost kind of comes across that he's maybe trying to show a generation that's been a little bit more protected and safe mm. uh the the dangers of violence and um how it can really tear you know tear the fabric of your life apart um yeah man dude this is yeah <laughs> such a great movie and i like what you said before marty that it's like a classical kind of sci-fi movie and yeah. i think you're totally right cuz while none of the technology in it is science fiction it is like the whole what if you were in this crazy situation how would people totally. react and like you know some people would be noble but not everyone would be some people would just freak out some people would just kill themselves some people mm. would turn into complete sociopathic monsters and see yeah. how that all plays out. Totally like Twilight Zone. You're right. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what's cool is kind of uh, unlike Twilight Zone, it it also uh, is led by these really noble hero characters, like at the center of the story. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, yeah, the director just, yeah, it's kind of a, a miracle how he's able to balance the, the tones of this thing. It really, in some ways, it feels like an adventure movie, and in some ways, it's like a horror movie. Um mm. It's yeah. Yeah, and it it also in ways is like an anthology like Twilight Zone because you've got mm, yeah, these totally. little groups of kids on different parts of the island and they each get their own like you could see if it was a series it would be this is this episode and this is another episode. Mm -hmm. Right. I would like to talk about him a little bit cuz I think that there's some ties to stuff we've covered on the podcast before and I would say this film I there's there's like no martial arts in this movie. Not that we only cover martial arts movies. <laughs> there's maybe like one kick or something. Um, yeah. And it, there's action down. for sure. There's like, yeah, yeah gunplay action. But So Kinji Fukusaku had like a 40-year career in uh, Japanese cinema, and it goes way back to the 60s. So he made his directorial debut working with our guy, Sonny Chiba, and uh, Sonny Chiba's Ooh. first starring role was with... Oh, cool. Kenji Fukusaku and uh, Sonny Chiba himself has said that he wouldn't be where he was as an actor if not for him. So, um, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, he did two featurettes uh, with him: uh, Wandering Detective, Tragedy in Red Valley, and uh, and Black Wind. And um, towards the late sixties into the seventies, he'd kind of become more known for Yakuza films. So. Um, he did a film called Battles Without Honor and Humanity, and it stars Bunta Sugawara. And this is a really cool Yakuza film. And um, it would eventually become a series. And he would do like, I don't know, like seven movies in just a handful of years because it was so oh, wow. uh, popular. And uh, with this movie, he like changed what people saw Yakuza films being. There's like these kind of eras of Yakuza film. And the... <laughs> The first era was called the Ninkyo Ega, which is like a chivalry film, and they kind of they kind of showed Yakuza as more like this 
kind of heroic character. But then after I, the... I'll bet it was probably partially funded by the Yakuza too, like a lot of those kind of movies go. <laughs> nice. It'd be a shame if your movie like yeah. bombed. Yeah. yeah. But um after uh Battles Without Honor and Humanity, they'd start to become known as uh Jitsu Ryoku Eiga, which is kind of called like actual record because in uh Battles Without Honor and Humanity, uh it's kind of like almost like a dick uh a documentarial style in how they address the Yakuza. And it's like more of this kind of down to earth, like real struggle of the Yakuza. And Bunta Sugawara is kind of like this really cool leading man. He's kind of like a James Dean kind of looking dude. Oh, cool. And uh, he became famous for, for this, from this film. So um, that's really cool. And I'd love to cover that at some point on the show. And um, then he would return to working with Sonny Chiba in a couple of movies that I want to talk about, too. One's called <laughs> Message from Space, which is like totally like a, <laughs> it's like a rip off Star Wars movie, but it's like super fun. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's that's not what this podcast is. I would love to do a podcast just talking about all of the weird foreign ripoffs of Star Wars. Oh, dude, yeah. that'd be so Because there was a lot yeah, totally. of them. Yep. He also did a film in like, the late 60s called the green slime which is like this super pulpy science fiction film that was like coal made in the u.s that's really weird oh and wow i just think it's so funny because battle Roy comparing that to like battle royale it's like the same director did these two movies it's really crazy right <laughs> um but it also... sounds like he kind of brings like that similar sense of like realism and like the actual stakes of violence and yeah and also i saw that he directed the japanese portions of tora 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 the famous Mm. world war ii oh yeah i uh, saw that film which is that's that was cool to see to see that because you can definitely even in battle royale interesting production yeah even in battle royale you can see the like the kind of some of it that's very like documentary kind of inspired where it's like oh totally where it's almost like this is a dramatization of something that happened but yeah, then also sure. we'll go into like adventure and kind of different stuff. It's cool. Mm-hmm. There's a samurai movie that I really like. It's called Makai Tensho. It's called Samurai Reincarnation. And uh, Sonny Chiba stars in that as uh, Jubei Yagyu, which is like this legendary ninja. And actually a lot of that, like you ever play Samurai Showdown, like the fighting game? That's like all those characters are like pulled from uh, that story. That's really cool. Oh, too. cool. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then in like the, I guess we're in like the late, late 80s, he, want, he was going to direct a film called Violent Cop, but for various <laughs> reasons, he was actually not able to make it. And um, it was starring B. Takeshi. So then B. Takeshi would go on to direct it. And this was the first film that he directed. So you can see oh, how wow, he's kind of got these um you know these it's like almost like this foundational cornerstones mm-hmm. in uh cinema that have really he's like, sort of affected. like the ipman of like um yeah. certain film circle or something or like yeah. uh like the young ping how young ping's touched all these different stars that have become so great you know yeah totally uh, could, who then you could kind see. of get they then they sort of like are empowered later on in their career to follow mm-hmm. in the same kind of footsteps that's so cool yeah, it's really cool. So then in the 90s, he didn't really do much. He did like kind of these period films. Um, 
Weirdly, he also directed Clock Tower 3, which is like a horror video game. Especially the game? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know huh. much about it. All I do know is that he directed or co-directed the game and uh, Keita Amemiya, who's this really cool like character designer. He's done a lot of work in Tokusatsu and um, he did all the designs for the game. So he did that. It's kind of really weird. But um, then, you know, here we are like 40 years later and he releases battle royale based on a novel that came out the year before i think yeah and a lot of people would argue that this is like his best film and yeah like, i was reading that from some of the um yeah just uh compiling some critical reviews and stuff yeah that's it's yeah. it's really crazy it's, it's yeah cool, what a though. way to kind of to end your career i mean mm-hmm. and it, i mean this does feel like a movie that's going to that's going to be significant for a long time. And I mean, I don't know, we don't necessarily have to get into like all of its influence now, but I mean, even to, you know, like Fortnite, it, in some ways it's kind of, it's kind of sad um, thinking of some of what's been extracted from the movie. It right. Is, it's like <laughs> real, uh, like almost like not just missing the point, but like going in the complete opposite direction <laughs> yeah. of the point. Like, did you did you watch Battle Royale and think, man, that looks fun? <laughs> right. I, I do think it's kind of structured like it would be a uh, video it's game. It's totally a video game movie. Like, you've got a literally, map, you've got equipment. <laughs> yeah, you got a map. It's equipment. It's even randomized equipment. Like, it's a freaking roguelike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, yeah, you have totally. to team up with people, but you won't necessarily stay teamed up. And it's, <laughs> but it really is like, it really is a video game movie but i think that's kind of the point is that it's like hey you kids like video games right well now you get to live in one yeah, yeah. And, and yeah it's cool because like through like the, the lens of uh fukasaku it's like yeah this this actually is not fun like this would be <laughs> yeah this would be like the worst nightmare you could imagine mm. um and it's but yet he doesn't make he still allows the movie to have these moments of fun it's i'm not sure exactly how he does it it's uh uh, yeah, I guess the recipe is like direct amazing movies for forty years, um, and yeah, and you, get inspired by this great novel. Tones and it feel right. completely fine. Yeah, so I think we're ready to talk about the movie now. But one thing I wanted to do, and uh, I think it'll be a little fun, is I want you guys to pick a number between one and three, oh. and you're gonna get oh, equipment. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to awesome. give you equipment to help you survive throughout uh, the survive rest of the, the podcast. podcast. All right. So okay, man. I, I'll go last. To I, be I just, fair. I want a pot with so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys can pick who goes first. I'll go first. Uh, okay. Go for it. All right. Give me a, a uh, number. Right. Uh, two. All right. So in the bag for number two, mm-hmm. you get a map, a rag okay. on a stick. Okay. Gasoline. Mm-hmm. Water, and your weapon is a whoopee cushion. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> okay, Damn. so that's that's okay. You can still do some stuff with that. Don't worry. You find, you can, a, like, you find a way. Yeah, yeah, the element of surprise. Will, yeah, exactly. And strategic, like you can. In a strategic it location. <laughs> Somebody will step on dangerous. it. And you'll, you'll yeah, yeah, fart. alert you to their presence. Yeah, yeah, super disarming for sure. <laughs> okay, Marty. Um, uh, I'll pick number three. Okay, you get a compass, a headlamp, gummy bears, and an Uzi. Oh, oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> Man, you got gummy bears. 
So I know, I'm yeah, left, that's, that's <laughs> I'm all left I with, can focus on right now. I'm left with number one, so I'll tell you what I got. I got grid paper, a flashlight, milk, and the green destiny sword. <laughs> oh, dude, that's so awesome. <laughs> did you get this from like a, a, a Battle Royale randomizer website, or did you just make this up? I just made this okay. up, man. <laughs> dude, this is, this is, yeah, awesome loadouts, man. So I think that, yeah, whoever survives, I think, okay, so with that information, I guess, Matthew, who would you kill first? I would immediately jump off of a cliff. Oh, nice. <laughs> I would not deal with any of this. You should jump off a cliff, but it's like a hard like ground that you're landing on and put the whoopee cushion on Oh, you. there you go. Little, so when you die, to... it makes a fart noise. Mm, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Everyone would laugh. All right, so it's just me and you, Marty. Oh, man. I think my focus would immediately shift to the gummy bears and how <laughs> I could spread the whole bag across the three-day window. Nice. Um, so I'd pretty much be focused on like the portions of the bears and then getting out of the death zones. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think I'd, I'd, I'd just be hiding, I think. Oh, man, I want that Uzi, though. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, leave you alone with that grid paper, and I think you'd, you'd find me. <laughs> All right, guys, let's talk about this movie. Right, this podcast. All right. Uh, but first, let's take a look at the back of the VHS. Japan. It is the dawn of a new century. Society is on the verge of a collapse. Youth are losing direction as delinquency and crime rates soar. The government devises a plan to get this younger generation back in line. The Millennium Education Reform Act, a.k.a. the BR Act. One class chosen randomly has to participate in a game of survival. Taken to a destination, they are tasked to do the unthinkable. It's killed or be killed, student against student, until there is a sole victor. Do you have what it takes? A dystopic nightmare brought to you by Kenji Fukusaku, starring Tatsuya Fujiwara, Aki Maeda, and featuring Takeshi Kitano. For you to arrive, one will survive. Battle Royale. The movie really does revolve entirely around just the stories that happen on the island. Because the whole premise is just like, you know, even if you haven't seen the movie, you probably know it. That 40, 42 teenagers that are, I think, I think they're all supposed to be in ninth grade is the idea. But yeah, it's, they, they're like, it's something like between like 14 and 15 years yeah. old, I think. But they all are, they get, are going on like a quote unquote school trip. And then end up uh, on this island where they're told that they all have to fight each other to the death. And the last one standing is the winner. And that's the entire movie is, is about how that plays out, how it starts and everything. And God, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's really about like the, like what, what happens to you when you're yeah forced to play within these rules mm. of life and death. And yeah, they really explore almost like every conceivable mm -hmm. um, like morality conflict here with these characters. And what's awesome is I would say most of these characters you're really introduced to in, I guess you could say, death scene. Um, and it's really effective how that works and um, to some kind of elegant use of flashbacks for some of these characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, the... Uh, that that was maybe something I was most impressed with and surprised by with the movie is how uh, we really get uh, 
these kind of personalities for this many characters. I mean, when you hear that number of students, it's like, oh, okay, well, something we're not going to like actually witness all of these like boys and mm. girls are we and we we pretty much do it did seem like there was one maybe cut sequence because i was following the math and there was one oh, did nice. anyone else run into that i thought there was like i feel like there was three students unaccounted for at some point but oh okay uh, i know there, there are, are a couple some of... that just get like a, a screen where yeah. it's like they hung themselves yeah. oh, this or, is what happened yeah 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 or they just we, show them dead but we do have sort of a protagonist, um, Shuya uh, Nanahara, and uh, we actually meet him in a really shocking way. He comes home, and his dad has hung himself with like yes. this uh, like surge protector, cord or yeah, yeah, extension cord, and he's left this note um, with this phrase that just like repeats on and on and on. And isn't it like you can do it, you Shuya, do it, or Shuya. something like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this actor, he's amazing um was this carlos do you know was this one of his first films i mean he seems pretty young he seems like the age the character would be yeah i believe so and i don't remember him from many other features i know he played light yagami in the live action death note from like the mid 2000s that's the only role i really remember him from oh cool um, but yeah he's this perfect kind of like weeding man or weeding boy or whatever <laughs> um he he kind of looks like he's the hero of the movie but also super super sympathetic and he's able to kind of communicate to the audience right away that it's like okay this guy has a good heart um and he certainly is not going to to relish violence and like his father's death kind of hangs over his head mhm there's the whole thing where they're saying how you know the older generations putting this on the younger generation because they're all delinquents now <laughs> and um they do say that they pick the classes randomly but you can kind of see them trying to push that these kids are uh i guess wilder than you'd expect kids these this age to be because they're kind of disrespect disrespectful to the adults but um i, I think like they didn't seem that bad to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I sort of feel like that's one of the themes of the movie, too, is it's maybe a critique on the older generation, mm. you know, sort of taking for granted this idea like, oh, yeah, these the kids these days, they're so bad, right? Mm. Um, and I feel like at least um, our two sort of like main heroes are really this representation of, of just like morally good um, and clearly it's like you would position them morally above any of the old generation that's like putting this whole sick game together um so yeah interesting and and i feel like uh that's another part of the movie that uh would probably play pretty well in you know like a okay boomer sort of era yeah totally (laughs) yeah actually it's funny that that okay boomers all over the place now because i think about that when i watch the movie although this is almost more okay grace generation because <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like right, uh, it's right, like right. an old an old man who had to live through like as a child lived through the the horrors of world war Two, and then seeing all these kids being crappy today and and thinking what if i had to put them through the same horrors that i had to go through that would that would right, get them straight right. mm. yeah what's awesome is because you have this whole class um you can kind of depict like all these shades of humanity. So like our protagonists are kind of this representation that there are still good humans, of course, in every generation and they have their own challenges that might be different from yours, but are still 
you know, really horrific in, in some of these cases. And then, yeah, there are some wild and like downright evil kids too. And then a lot of the kids are just confused, you know, by their mm. circumstances. And um, it's like, whoever you are, there's, there's no way you can't relate to some of what goes on in this movie. And this nightmare of being forced to kill oh, man, all of totally. your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> man, anybody can see that and be like, holy crap, like, what would I do in a situation? And I do also like how you guys were talking about the older generation. And here in this film, the focal point of that is played by B. Takeshi, which is like, I think the perfect like actor to put in that role. Dude, he's amazing. Like, so good in this movie. Oh my god! Yeah, and his like dry delivery mm-hmm. and just the way that he handles his dialogue is is perfect. Like we yeah we, we could talk a lot about B Takeshi. Yeah, and I think that we will eventually. <laughs> we can talk a little bit bit about him now. Yeah. But the um, the main thing I would say about him is that we any most people in the audience probably would recognize him best as. He was known as Vic Romano in MXC, but he was the creator of Takeshi's Castle, the kind of like whenever people think of a crazy Japanese game show, that's mm-hmm. probably what they picture in their head. Uh, sure, but he yeah, was totally. one of the hosts of that. And like he was a comedian in his early career and everything. And you can like he's pretty like in a really dry, dark way. He's pretty right. funny in this movie, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he balances that those different tones uh, just as you know, just as well as the, like the, uh, he balances those, those tones just as well as the rest of the movie does. Um, cause it's funny. He's, he's really funny. Uh, and then at turns it's like, he's just terrifying, but mm-hmm. he's also somehow in spite of all of that, like really sympathetic. And this mm-hmm. is where I think like casting kind of just comes into play. There's something about his look and just the expression in his eyes and his face where you somehow feel for him, even when he's, like committing the most like yeah evil game you could think of it's crazy mm-hmm. or i don't know maybe i'm or, or, did you no, guys I, feel that i completely sympathy? agree where like by yeah, the end I of it too. you like you you don't feel bad for him necessarily but you kind of right. feel a little bit of sympathy we're like you're like yeah you did deserve to die but also like you know you're kind of you know you're kind of just dealing with all the crap like everyone else is so and this is like uh, uh and so i forgot sh- about whenever you threw a knife into that girl's head <laughs> right yeah totally <laughs> this is i think one of the biggest missed opportunities of a lot of uh hollywood films and i mean plenty of people talk about um you know two-dimensional villains and how that can really hold a movie back but uh it's like when you think of all of the depth you get with this kind of villain where he's kind of everything he's scary he's funny and, but there's also something sympathetic about him um and it makes all of it like so much more powerful yeah and i think that you get a sense of that immediately because uh, the intro where they where they the kids are taken and he's telling them what's happening like that this whole scene is so strong having oh the students God, yeah. in there and then the military runs in and him explaining what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you still kind of are kind of riding it and you can tell that the students don't really have a complete understanding of what's going on. And then, uh, you know, when they start to show that video and, and Kitano himself kills one of the girls in the class and they show that like the dead teacher, like, you're like gripped you're like oh man like this is 
so crazy. And I think yeah, that's it's the... terrifying. And it's, and it's played very real. And, mm-hmm. um, ah, dude, I mean, Fukusaku is so good at directing this giant group of kids. It's like mm-hmm. Spielberg level, like work with, mm-hmm. you know, young actors or whatever. Um, this, this is really the scene that like the whole movie probably kind of hinges on. Mm. Um, if this doesn't work, you know, your premise doesn't work. You're not really engaged, but it's like one of the most riveting scenes I can think mm-hmm. of. It's amazing. I, I love how everyone, after he kills the, the one girl and then the other, the other boys like getting all up in his face and he shows them how the collar works and the collar explodes and kills the other kid. Whenever Kitano gets closer to the kids, they all like just cower and back away and they're all yeah. just terrified of him throughout the rest of this movie. Yeah, man. So I, I really enjoy, even at the beginning of this, before they all walk in, when the kids all wake up in the classroom, it's dark, and they all notice that there are two other people in the room, and it's the two guys that you find out are the transfer students. And uh, even the way that that's shot is just like so unsettling, and uh, it just, the the tone of it all just works so well. and um. Yeah, following all of this madness, then they show this intro video, and I know you wanted to talk about this a bit, <laughs> oh, and I, I think amazing. it's so cool. This the, Now, the video feels like it could have come straight out of a Paul Verhoeven movie, where it's yeah, like it's this great. very, this very, like, bright chipper girl talking all about, like, the rules of the game and how, like, it'll, exp- like, the how the how the cars will explode and how you should, you know, you need to kill everyone else. <laughs> Otherwise, but it, everyone nothing dies. Nothing would be as good as like this Japanese version. Like, yeah. The yeah. American version could tap on like, tap into like the sappiness or something, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't get at, um, yeah, that weird kind of cultural side of like, yeah, it's the forward facing like niceness in Japanese culture. Yeah. And I love how they're riffing on that here. And it's like, <laughs> terrifying and funny that's i i laughed out loud whenever she says like good morning <laughs> yeah. and he's like I got a job! <laughs> while all yeah. the other kids are just dead silent yeah the video assisted with uh Takeshi's performance mm-hmm. it's yeah it's too good it's mm-hmm. it's literally too good and, and it's also worth that- pointing out that the the girl in the video is played by uh yuko miyamura who is the voice actress for asuka in neon genesis evangelion Nice. And, awesome. a, and a billion other things but yeah she sounds like she's like a yeah voice actor pro sorry i'm I was re-watching it it was the, whenever she's like no, saying everyone gets a weapon and she looks down and like has the shocked face looking at the axe yeah. <laughs> we should totally just drop some i mean even though it's all japanese drop some clips of yeah, i was definitely gonna have the one of uh Takeshi saying uh konnichiwa to her after she yeah. says good morning yeah, good oh, idea. Awesome. And the director's cut or the special edition that I have, mm. it has an English uh, dubbed version, which I hate. Really? It's bad. I was about to say, know? I can't imagine this with an English dub. I couldn't watch like more than like 15 minutes of it. I'm like, this is so bad. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Okay, so uh, so yeah, the, these kids, they realize the horror that they're involved in. And uh, what happens now is that they're each going to be equipped with a random package. And some have good weapons, some have bad weapons, some has like tools, not so much weapons. <laughs> and uh, they do like a attendance call, like in a classroom. And when each kid is called, they have to run out and that's when the game begins. So I think this is a, such a cool way to start off this madness, this kind of structure of a classroom. And 
but just like the the complete opposite of being like this murderous game it's, yeah. it's perfect it's so and cool. yeah and then it, this is also where there's a little bit of fun and excitement to this because as scared as you are in the audience watching this like there's just yeah that mystery of what's in your bag and mm-hmm. uh you know it kind of gets your imagination going oh how would you use whatever you know you're given and um and you get to uh see just kind of a little bit of the relationships between some of the students too uh, so when they call totally. certain people, you'll see them hug their friend or, you know, you'll see one like kind of just frantically leave in a panic. Um, here you also get to see like the two transfer students, uh, Kawada and Kiriyama, both oh, kind man. of really aggressively like make their mark in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kawada like does a sprint, like very aggressive, confident sprint and grabs his stuff. Yeah, and he's he sort of like Rambo, and then the other dude is kind of like Spike or something. Um, yeah, like, yeah, it's... Kiriyama, like throughout the whole film, I, he doesn't say a word. <laughs> he's he's awesome. I actually think he might be my favorite character just because of how hard-lined, like psychotic yeah. he is. And the design of it, too. It really is like anime brought to life, um, mm-hmm. his character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I really like how Kawada comes back and he like like is kind of having an attitude with the enforcers here. He says like, "No, this is my bag." And then <laughs> Kitano is like, "Oh, you guys better watch out for these two transfer students." Actually, I what I can say is that in the novel, what I do know, I have never read the novel, but what I do know is that Kiriyama, the psychotic uh, transfer student. I believe he's not a transfer student in the novel. He's just one of the classmates, but he's kind of like this. Um, there's like kind of a tragic backstory to him where when he was a child, or he, I think when he was in the womb, his mother was in a car accident and he was born, but he has like no emotions. So this oh. kind of, but he's also like a savant where he's like an excellent whatever he wants to be. Mm-hmm. But oh, because wow. he has no emotional response or like this kind of rewarding feeling mm-hmm. of uh, mastering something, he just doesn't care. He just moves on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So like he's kind of, uh, I, I mean, I guess for better or worse, he's perfectly made for this game. Yeah. And that's why he's such a huge threat when uh, they're out on the island. So now it's the the game has already started because as soon as like all the kids are out, we get to see our hero, uh, Nanahara, run out. And the first thing he sees is a girl walking with like a, a arrow through her neck, walking towards yeah. him. And yeah, it, and it's it like kind of it, it's it's quite a way to start it because I was kind of thinking like, OK, well, who's going to be like the first kid to like completely crack and. It's like instantly the kid, the kids start killing each other. Yeah, totally. It's really interesting. You kind of see um, like how the different personality types react to it. So there is some immediate violence that's going on. Um, And then you do have some of the students that are just trying to run away to hide or think or something. And yeah, very quickly after uh, Nanahara sees his classmate um, shot down with the arrow, um, uh, he actually finds um, uh, Noriko, and they uh, that that's that's a really great scene when they're kind of together in that little cave. They're um, the power couple. Yeah, for sure. And and yeah, we see he, that his his weapon is a pot lid. Yeah, yeah and she's got binoculars, which is so slightly it's awesome more too. helpful. It's, but it's cool. It's almost like the the universe 
is kind of pointing to these two characters and and saying like these are the like morally good ones they're not violent like they're not even going oh, to right. be like tempted yeah. with violence yeah i really i really like that um and then I, there's even like uh there's some point where we're like they're straight up called potlid and binoculars oh yeah yeah uh, i was thinking like oh that. that's that'd be a great band name or something <laughs> potlid and binoculars <laughs> I'd listen to that. Uh, one thing I wanted to really mention too that you kind of we we haven't talked about yet is that uh, the music for this film is super good. Oh yeah, it's like this really kind of classic score. Yeah, uh, totally. Not not just in some of the piece choices, they use some like kind of um, actual classical music. Yeah, yeah, classical pieces. But yeah, it's like a of... it's like a John Williams Jerry Goldsmith esque kind of score. Mm-hmm. Um, really great, and yeah, definitely all adds to this movie just feeling like an event you know mm-hmm. right um the music is done by masamichi amano and um i actually know him from uh an anime series called giant robo yeah It's super good. It's like one of my favorite things ever. And actually, in Giant Robo, he uses the Warsaw Philharmonic yeah, to um, same group. to yeah, and it's actually the same uh, group that he works with here. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's like the same DNA. So when you hear it, and it's actually something I didn't realize the first time I watched, but when I was doing research, I realized it oh, now. Cool. And I'm like, oh my god, it's like yeah, it's literally like sounds the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's really good, and it really elevates a lot of the film. And I I did write down all of the the usage of uh, classical music throughout it because oh, awesome. they play it. I'm pretty sure sh- they play classical music every time. It's like the the reports where uh, um, Bidkeshi's character says like who's died since the last report, what zones to avoid, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So although the the very first piece of classical music we hear is uh, the DACRA part from Verdi's Requiem. That's the, oh, the right, really the intense beginning. music, like right at the right. beginning that you've you've definitely heard, even if you don't know the name of it. Yeah, it's probably the most like quoted motif of all of Western music, and yeah, totally synonymous with death and um yeah just about every film composer you know john williams to howard shore uh, you know tap into that and then the very first the first one that we hear well once the kids are out and about on the island is the rudetsky march by uh johann strauss johann strauss senior actually because there is a johann strauss junior piece in a minute mm. right Yeah, sort of the the waltz king yeah. Strauss. Yeah, which it's it's whenever I first heard that I was like, that's a perfect choice for like this. It's like, oh yeah, it's this big grand, you know, kind of triumphant sounding thing while these kids are you know trying not to get killed by each other. It's yeah, like, it shows how like gross the whole thing is. It's like yeah. that the older generation thinks that this will somehow install order or something, um, and it's just grotesque and. Horrible. It's the adds to the satire of it all. Those yeah, those announcements sure. are definitely like calling back to much of the satire that you see at the beginning of the film. 
um, on the island, you know, the kids are all out and about and you're starting to see uh, who the aces are <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> We've got By aces, I mean horrible sociopaths. Yeah. The best murderers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I think the two that we uh, really need to know about are Kiriyama and Mitsuko. So mm-hmm. Kiriyama is one of the transfer students, and he's like the dude that I said silent throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. And when you first see him on the island, he's surrounded by a group of students, and they're kind of picking on him. He's silently standing there chewing his gum, and uh, they see what his weapon is, and it's one of these like celebratory paper fans, <laughs> which is like completely useless but one of the students has an uzi and he's holding it up to his head and kiriyama spits his gum out at him and that's enough of a distraction for him to uh kill all the other students using that student's gun Mm -hmm. and throughout the rest of the film that's his that's his weapon weapon of choice choice, which is pretty understandable (laughs) um and uh that scene you know there's some really scenic scenes here and uh you can kind of tell that this is shot like uh, day for night because of how everything's reflected on uh, the sure. students it still looks really cool and there's some really nice shots of Kiriyama just kind of looking crazy with this day to night when i wonder too if there's um any like actor union stuff in japan for young actors like there is over here um mm. at least that's that's why often like on the tv side sometimes in film it's you're usually kind of going for day shoots um because you only nope. have so much time huh. with the actor. Okay, it's like yeah. if you've ever seen uh, Freaks sense. and Geeks, like there's a there's this great Halloween episode where they go trick or treating, but it's like totally looks like the middle of the day. <laughs> oh, um, nice! And they talk about it on the commentary where it's like, yeah, there's just no way of getting around this because we really could do only very limited like night shoots. The kids. What I do know is that all of the actors did their own stunts. So I don't know uh, what that says regarding student unions or Mm -hmm. young people unions. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Because there's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes footage of some of the action. Like, and you you just straight up see, like, the same kids, like, jumping from an explosion. (laughs) So I don't know. Uh, The next character that uh, we wanted to talk about is Mitsuko, who's, like, the femme fatale of the film. God, Mitsuko is... Gosh, she's nuts. So she's probably my favorite of the of mm. the kids because she's just so unabashedly like I'm going like I'm all the people think I'm the hottest girl in class. So I'm going to use that to kill everyone. <laughs> and it's like it's it, very like the Black Widow kind of idea. Yeah, totally. I love it. There's this great little scene where we've already seen kind of how vicious she is, and they're um giving the morning announcements over the loudspeaker and she's putting on her makeup and doing her like Like doing her eyelashes and it's like oh there's something about just how cold and calculating she Mm -hmm. is um also yeah she's just so smart and resourceful there's a great scene actually one of my favorite scenes where she's confronted by um one of her fellow classmates and you almost buy it as the audience because she she seems like really vulnerable and really scared um, but it's all this ploy to try to get the upper hand on this girl. Yeah, yeah the other thing I really like terrifying. about her is that her weapon is a comma. It's like the sickle. And yeah. to give this kind of uh, you know devious woman this 
such a personal tool that mm-hmm. you have to get so up close with somebody to kill yeah. is a really effective uh, plot device. Uh, totally. And I believe in that scene that you're talking about, that's kind of a focal point of it all. But she really wants a handgun and uh, she ends up getting a handgun out of that. <laughs> my, it's it's a bit later. We'll, we won't do all of Mitsuko's stuff yet. But my my favorite just little quick thing is whenever it's showing like a bunch of the kids that have died over the past uh, of the past several hours and it's just you just see two boys naked covered in blood and her like putting on her oh, shirt man. walking away from them yeah. and i was like oh that's the perfect way to do that because you could definitely do a scene like that where it's like super exploitative and just feels really gross but they do it in that way where you're like you know exactly what happened and you don't have to see anything like you know, weird with a 15 year old girl, you know? Right. Right. You're like, totally. You're like, damn, are they for real? Like you don't need to see the whole thing. Yeah. You know it. Yeah. And that's, that is um, one yeah. thing that I've seen. Uh, I haven't also, I haven't read the book. Um, I skimmed through some of the manga just to kind of get an idea of it. And it definitely, a lot of the stuff with Mitsuko feels kind of, kind of gross and exploitative um, in the, in the manga. So mm. it's, it, and, and again, it's one of those things with manga where, like, because it's a cartoon, it doesn't quite have to follow the same rules as you would with a, you know, a human being. But it is still a little weird because it's like, oh, yeah, you're 15. Gotcha. Um, and that's right. actually that's a, a scene they added in the special edition, quote unquote. Right. Is like a, a flashback ah, where she almost gets molested and then pushes the pedophile down the stairs and kills him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm hmm. Rough. Yeah, we haven't really talked about the special edition director's cut, but um, I feel like it's not as good as the theatrical it cut. Is like not. versus, <laughs> they kind of give you a little more backstory, which I don't think is necessary. It doesn't really. You don't need that to understand the kind of craziness that's happening. It does on the seem island. to be some kind of like special edition curse where it feels like it'll be a real treat to the audience to give them, you know, more content or whatever. But this the spell of that kind of fades quickly or yeah, I, at least that I feel like that's the case in most uh, you know, special dishes like that. But yeah, I, I'm totally with you, Matthew. I like how they depict that scene. And it's interesting because the movie doesn't pull punches when it comes to violence, but it does have this sort of, for lack of a better word, taste as to just how far to go and just which lines to cross. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Also, it's remarkable given the premise of the movie, but almost none of the none of these scenes are repetitive. And it's like when you think of just how many students are on the island and how many will die in the course of this story, um, just the ingenuity of that is amazing. And I'm sure a lot of that, you know, comes down to the the novel. But um, even just in the staging of these scenes, it's. Um, it'd be so easy for this to feel sort of like a rote um, mechanical repetition, um, you know, or like really video gamey mm-hmm. or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The next character that I really wanted to mention is the other transfer student. Uh, he, his name is Kawada. And um, Nanahara. Yeah, he's kind of like the Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi of the movie or something. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's He seems like he's going to be this like, terrible adversary and then he ends up being this interesting mentor it's really cool yeah what happens is while they're on the run one of the other students is 
about to shoot Nanahara, but he's actually taken down by Kawada. So they kind of interact with him here and he realizes that the weapons they they have are useless and so instead you would think maybe if you want to win you want you're gonna kill him but he doesn't kill him and uh this leads to a little one another one of my favorite scenes where there's two students and it seems like one of the girls her weapon is a bullhorn (laughs) and they're kind of doing this like we want to have peace you know like join us like so sweet (laughs) But the thing that's so cool about it is that Kiriyama, actually, of course, you're telling everybody where you are. So he just mows them down with an Uzi. And it if that's not enough, actually, oh, he doesn't. That's, yeah, insult to <laughs> yeah. injury. It's so yeah. brutal, man. He doesn't say anything in the movie, but you do hear him test out the, the bullhorn after he shoots mm-hmm. these girls and they're writhing in pain. And he uses the bullhorn to it up to the, project it. Oh, he holds it up. Yeah, to while she's like, like screaming and writhing. Oh, yeah. that's rough. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a great oh, example. Yeah. It's like that is so much more vicious and like horrific than some kind of really graphic violent thing. And yeah, it's just like that's that's a moment that stays with mm-hmm. you, man. Terrifying. I really love the kind of uh, there's sort of this side plot that's going on with uh, these students that have banded together, these three boys. And one oh, of them the is like this, yeah, super tech savvy. And yeah, he's basically trying to like create this hacking program. Um, and yeah, again, I just like the idea that it's like, okay, you would have, uh, you'd have some kids that, would choose to just end it all. And we didn't mention that, but there was this yeah, we see. pair of of students that, you know, choose to jump off the cliff and die together. You'd have people that would just run away and hide, um, you know, people that would, like the two girls we just talked about, um, kind of try to ask everyone to just be nice and, and have some peace. Um, but you also would have these kind of conspiring little teams. Mm-hmm. And... I love the way that actually, yeah, this is a I'll mention at the end also, but this is a good time to mention I'm gonna be on an episode of Swim Fans, uh Alex friend of the show Alex's podcast. Uh they're talking about like cyberpunk kind of movies uh Mm. in December. And I'm on the episode talking about um swordfish. So I've kind of been watching several movies from the like that turn of the millennia era talking about hacking and stuff. And, oh, cool! Oh, this is perfect. Yeah, and and I just watched I watched Hackers too because I wanted to get the taste of swordfish out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> nice. How did Hackers hold up? I haven't seen that it's, since it came out. It is wonderfully mid nineties. Like it, okay, awesome. it, it holds. It almost holds up in how much it doesn't hold up. Okay, because God, like I just like the characters and stuff are a ton of fun, and like the movie is super duper fun, and it's you know completely goofy, and it, like it's this weird like subculture that feels like it probably never actually existed, but <laughs> but right. it's super duper fun, and all the characters are interesting, and uh, Angelina Jolie is super attractive in it, so that helps too. Even if she has a dumb. Oh haircut. yeah, that's like an. Early that's, Jolie. Movie. I think that's yeah. like the first. I'm not sure if it's the first mm. film that she was in, but it's definitely the first big one she was in. So yeah, and like Girl Interrupted was another mm. early big one. Next week we'll talk cool. about Angelina Jolie movies, but this week we got to talk about Battle Royale. <laughs> so, uh, one of the other students that I wanted to talk about is uh, Chiaki Kuriyama's character. Oh man, um, yes. She goes by 
Chigusa, and mm-hmm. uh, she gets her own time to shine in this film too. And this was the role that landed her Gogo's um, role in Kill Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned it when I teased this episode, but Quentin yeah. Tarantino obviously loves this movie. I think he Shocker. said, I wish I made this movie is what he said. Right. I completely believe <laughs> and that. And I think that was another thing that I kind of misinterpreted at the time to, to assume meant like, oh, it's hyper violent and that's why it's yeah. interesting. Um, but really like Tarantino's movies himself, like... I'm drawn to most of those films because of these incredible like morality plays and unforgettable scenes with characters and everything. And um, of course there's a lot of unforgettable violence too, but um, yeah, battle Royale has those ingredients just in kind of a different spirit. And there's almost, there's a little bit more heart and compassion than, than maybe in a, you'd find in a typical Tarantino. Yeah, because I do think that these are teenagers, so they do play up the kind of drama between, like, you know, a girl likes a boy or a boy likes a girl, and they didn't know. And they kind of turn that on its side in this film, so you'll get scenes where uh, you've got a guy looking for a girl, but they're in the middle of this murder game and she'll kill the guy but that's like when he confesses his love and i think that's like cool because it takes you know that kind of tropiness out of it (laughs) it's it's really good but the um, guy also does what uh what i was kind of even thinking and I, i watched this with my wife and we kind of had whenever he brought it up i was like i was wondering if they were gonna address this where he's basically says to to chigasa look Let's have sex. Don't you want to have sex at least once before you die? We're all going to die anyway. I was thinking, right. I knew one of these kids had to have been angling that at some point. So I was, I was glad to actually And this character, it. it's like, he's just like, yeah, he's amazingly sort of awful where he just can't make up his mind. He's mm-hmm. so like fraught by what's going on. Yeah. He's trying, he's trying to kill her at one second and then like sweeten her up the next. <laughs> and it's just, none of it is, none of it is working. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. amazing. Cause he ends up firing off this, uh, arrow shot and it like skims her cheek but it's like that might be the moment where tarantino kind of envisioned her character for kill bill mm-hmm. totally just the look she gives him where it's almost like it's like he like gave her power or something mm-hmm. it's like she just looks terrifying and amazing in his like kind of cowardice uh, that's like what really makes her decide that she's gonna kill him because like, yeah, he's totally. like trying to blame her for him shooting her. <laughs> and she I, pulls out her weapon, and that's uh, like a switchblade. And she chases him down, and oh, uh, she stabs him to death. She stabs him in the crotch oh, to death. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. totally. Yeah, nice. Yikes. Yeah, it's that was like, like not accidental. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like that? <laughs> also, she's wearing this kind of like yellow tracksuit. Yeah, it's a very, very game of death kind of. Game of deathy and very Kill Billy. Mm-hmm. I, I love actually how uh, we're brought back to her character in this part of the movie. It starts with a flashback when she's l- like running at home with this uh, other boy from school. I can't remember his name, but we've kind of talked about that character. And then she sort of turns off this uh, road and she looks back and he's gone. And we realize now she's in the present day and she has the collar around her neck and it was yeah really really well done the kind of thing you've you've seen before but really worked i thought mm. so and then mitsuko the shows up and this, shoots her yeah she <laughs> which happens a couple of times mitsuko. in this movie uh-huh. and you you do end up getting kind of this tropey confession of love mm-hmm. because 
Chigusa ends up bumping into that other student that she's kind of got this. But what's amazing form. and subverts the trope is she asks him, "Are you in? Is there a girl you're in love with?" And he's like, "Yeah." Um, but he confesses it's like it's not you though <laughs> it's like whoa um, maybe not the time yeah dude. <laughs> yeah really surprising but and um, yeah her acting in this um, in those in her final death scene is amazing also the moment in which she dies um, I don't know it, it when you th- think of all of the on-screen deaths that we've probably seen in our lives. This is one of the ones that's going to stay with me the most. It's just, there's something about how abruptly she's gone that just, yeah, like took the life out of me. It's really, um, really great choice. Uh, how that scene was, was portrayed. Now we see that, uh, Nanahara and Noriko are kind of teamed up with Kawada. So he's, he's kind of like mentoring them almost, but he's still kind of, he he tells them don't trust anyone right right at the beginning when when they start following each other but um they're kind of hiding away at this like first aid spot because Noriko's she suffered an injury right at the beginning when the military shooting up in the classroom she gets tagged with a bullet and that's uh wearing her down but what happens here is Kawada ends up kind of confessing to them a story and what you find out is that he's actually survivor of uh, one of the previous battle royale uh, incidents, and they're yeah, shocked. Like three years previous, mm-hmm. or something. Right, and what you find out is that he and his girlfriend were the last two, and he says that you know you you don't know what'll happen until the end, and he's kind of giving them a warning. So you see them, you know, it's they're the final two, and then their collars start ticking down, and uh, you see them embrace. But it's great because uh, you hear a gunshot and it's that uh, his girlfriend has shot him. And then he kind of in desperation shoots her. And uh, that's what. But yeah, then like the immediately victim. regrets having shot her. And then he's like, are you OK? Are you OK? And in her final moments, she turns to him and she smiles. And so what he says is like, basically, he's come back to try to understand what that smile meant. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of this then ongoing theme for the rest of the movie, which is really cool concept. And then uh, Noriko, like just (laughs) basically like the sweetest character you've maybe ever seen. Um, She kind of takes it upon herself to say like, Oh, well, you know, if I was her in that situation, this is probably why I would smile. I would have just been so thankful to have had somebody like, yeah, she's just so sweet, man. This gets interrupted by Kiriyama uh, chasing after a kid and uh, gunning him down while the the three inside the place are trying to like hide out. But he ends up uh, ends up cutting the kid's head off. Yeah, the thing the thing that's cool is that that student. What you find out is his weapon was a bulletproof. Yeah, vest. that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. So he's like celebrating. Uh, more uh, than a little that too was loudly. His fa- fatal flaw, yeah. <laughs> and Kiriyama like on Sanders over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Kiriyama has like a a small katana blade, and he kills this student. So now Kiriyama is equipped with a bulletproof vest, which is like, oh man, he's like ready. He's OP, win. definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But he hears the hears the three of them inside of the inside of the clinic. 
and you hear one of the windows break and you see that he threw that kid's head with a grenade in its mouth into the clinic. <laughs> that's like play to win, man. That is like that's one of the more shocking things in this movie. Yeah. And the like prosthetic head is like really well mm-hmm. done. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's really nice. Uh and- this is the explosion that I was talking about where it's it, there are no stunt doubles here. You see them all jumping away from this explosion. Yeah, yeah so that kid donated his head for the Yeah, I know. R.I.P. And P. No. Oh, yeah, that's right. No stunt double head either. <laughs> <laughs> that was the real controversy is that there was a real child's head that they used in the boot. No. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Kiriyama is then chasing Nanahara away. He's kind of becoming a decoy. Mm-hmm. So the rest of them can be all right. And what happens is uh, Nanahara jumps into the ocean. There's and this leads to the next scene that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about where um, he's rescued by another student and he's taken to this lighthouse, which is kind of a safe haven. You've got a group of girls here that are kind of trying to survive. You don't really get a sense that they have a plan, but they're just kind of waiting it out. And there's this one girl who... I, I think she's just, uh, I'm not 100% what her, her motivation is, but I think it's just, she just doesn't. Well, the girl she, that had witnessed, because uh, she had witnessed uh, Nanahara accidentally. That's right. That's that right. One, so that she's one student, okay. We kind of glazed over that, but yeah, um, he like, they were tumbling down this hill and at the bottom of it, Nanahara realizes like he'd accidentally stabbed the kid and she mm-hmm. had, she had witnessed this. So it's, she, you can tell that she's like skittish around him. Um, but the, yeah, the other girls are all kind of like happy that they've taken him in and he's like resting like on this sort of makeshift hospital bed. And I can't remember why they lock him in his room. Um, I think it was because of that girl being leery of him mm-hmm. there. But so you right, see okay, them gotcha. talking like he said it was an accident. It's okay. Yeah. And she's like, Oh yeah. All right. But you still see her being like really worrisome. Mm-hmm. And, and what you find out... And you find out ahead. that her yeah. weapon was poison. And so she's she puts a little poison in the food that she was going to bring upstairs to Nanahara. But one of the other girls comes in and immediately grabs it, <laughs> takes a bite of it. And then like a, about a minute later, she starts coughing up blood and dies. And then it just goes straight downhill. Yeah, this is like a crazy, crazy scene. Um, yeah, maybe one of... I think maybe one of the best scenes of the movie, mm-hmm. but yeah, just the way that this de-escalates and it's just wild and crazy, but you can kind of <laughs> relate to it. And like, you can think back to maybe hopefully smaller scale versions of like conflicts with friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're a teenager or whatever, but yeah, all these girls are so panicked and one of them has a gun. Yeah. This is also, I think a really Tarantino esque, mo- mm-hmm. you know, moment in that, uh, it kind of devolves into this like horrible spree and also Tarantino ish in that like the character that's responsible for it is like not the character would think mm-hmm. uh, would cause all of this. There's some brilliant staging here, especially there's some uh, shots kind of w- looking down on the room, mm-hmm. like with all the girls bodies displayed there. And it's just, yeah, the staging of it is it's, yeah, kind of beautiful, but, just tragic and um and the girl who had done the poisoning she's like hiding under this table and she was 
pretty much the only one of these friends not to be accused or suspected um, during this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. <laughs> it's brutal. But yeah, I, I do like what you said about the staging, especially like that last moment oh, where they man, all the yeah. girls shoot each other and they all collapse at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's something really with cool. a lot of the death in this film where when a character dies, there's still a little bit of like movement left to their to their body. Mm-hmm. It's not just this like on and off switch. Um, and yeah, I don't know, really effective. And then to continue with the darkness, the, the, after all the other girls are dead, the girl that actually caused all this to happen, then immediately runs upstairs on the, in the lighthouse and then jumps off and kills herself. Perfect. It's, and and you you don't see that part though. You just see the aftermath whenever, um, whenever. Oh, we haven't mentioned when, whenever uh, a student dies, uh, there's this text oh, yeah. that pops up on screen with their name and then also with a number count of how many students mm-hmm. are left. Um, and, and then this one has like Yeah, it's a great way of like breaking like up the film, but yeah, this is, mm-hmm. yeah, horrible. Probably the, like, the largest body count. Mm-hmm. It's rough. Let's see. So oh, I want to, real quick the... before we get to the end, I want to catch up on classical music in it. Um yeah. During oh, cool. the yeah, during the noon of the noon of the first day, they play the Blue Danube by Johann Strauss II. Which is the most people know it as the music from 2001: A Space Odyssey, whenever they're floating in space. And then whenever we see uh, Chigusa uh, jogging, we hear. Ugh, German words. Um, often Wasser zu singen, I think. How you say that? It's a that's pretty good. Okay, yeah. it's it's a Franz Schubert piece. Um, and then we'll get to the. Uh, there's one left, but we'll get to it when we get to that scene. So, but yeah, it's almost all Germanic. Um, composers i think uh yeah Verdi's not i mean other than the Verdi, everything else yeah. is in the in the germany area germany is a country didn't exist for a long time right yeah prussia yeah, austria could, that kind yeah, of stuff when they were composed listen yeah, to marty and matthew nerd check. out about classical and romantic music no, next call. time on the podcast <laughs> yeah people get kind of thrown when you realize like how young germany is as a country it's yeah, it didn't really exist Not until after think. World War One. A lot of or, crazy like, times. Got Prussia and all that stuff. Anyways, yeah, Prussia. Yeah, Prussia. <laughs> uh, we're we're getting towards the end of things. We're whittling down this cast, and um, this is that interaction that I mentioned a little while ago, where a uh, student, his name is Sugimura, he comes looking for uh, uh one of the girls. Her name is Kotohiki. So uh, she's really hiding, she and she's freaking out. And um, he kind of calls out to her, and in a panic, instead of going to him, she just shoots him. And right. um, she uh, she quickly realizes that he wasn't there to hurt her because he tells her like to run away. That uh, now that she she's yeah, like they'll have heard shot. the gunfire. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, it's like this kind of tragic thing and uh yeah she goes down to him and he confesses to her and uh he dies and she's kind of in despair but right then you see 
Mitsuko show up and she just tells the girl like she's like what I think she's like what do I do now and uh, Mitsuko's like die <laughs> die <laughs> she just oh man shoots her amazing yeah and um so this is actually what leads to her demise mm. so um she's kind of standing over them and uh Kiriyama then shoots her it's cool because it's set up like um there it's like this really rainy area it's all like wet and um he's got an uzi right so you kind of see this spray of fire in the water so you can see that they use like squibs or something to make all these splashes and it works really well but um even then mitsuko still isn't dead and she's uh he checks her he takes her gun away and as he's uh walking away she attacks him with the taser so he's disarmed and you're actually like whoa like what's gonna happen because these are the two like best players yeah. i guess you could say in the game <laughs> <laughs> and she still got the comma so she strikes at him and uh that kevlar vest that he has is still enough to protect him mm-hmm. and uh he's able to overpower her and then he shoots her with his handgun they nerf the and vest this- for the next battle royale it's overpowered yeah That'll be the patch update. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I believe here's another yeah, musical. This is the key, this right? is the last big one. Is as he's just gunning Mitsuko down, you hear uh, "Air on the G String" by Johann Sebastian Bach. Which is like that, that is such an like it's one of those pieces where it's like whenever you hear like the really calm classical music playing as someone's just getting horribly murdered, it's always it's always really affecting. Right. And this mm-hmm. is definitely no exception. I think it it can yeah it can border on cliche it sometimes, can, but, but I'm sure. still really, really into well it. Mm-hmm. And I think that this really reminds me of Evangelion because Evangelion would play around with stuff like this and certain characters in the film get these kind of text uh screens where it has like a quote from them that's kind of an uh, important quote to their past or what or who they are and Mitsuko here gets that as well like maybe like the last thing they said before they Mm -hmm. died and uh that kind of really reminds me of Evangelion and I can imagine it being pretty influential to this film as well it kind of also I think makes me think of Call of Duty actually (laughs) where it shows oh really because it'll show like like a quote about like war or something whenever you die oh right yeah there are some of these quotes that appear um that yeah really interesting it's a little moments of poetry Mm -hmm. or something um but i think also what helps the um the classical music work is that there's this like there's this thematic kind of side to how how it works in the film where it's like it it's really throughout it's it's like it seems like it's part of the approach of the game masters or whatever is like that they identify with music. So um, it doesn't feel like some kind of random drop of, of mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, I, I know. Isn't there that trick where you use some, you know, beautiful classical music with violence. Um, it feels like tied into the world of. This. Sure. What is it? Diegetic, right? That, yeah. Where it, it exists within the world. Being played. Yeah, right. that that's really mm-hmm. cool, um, and and that's carrying you into the next scene where you finally get the the group of hackers. They're finally successful, and what they're able to do is 
Nah, they're nah, able nah, to nah, inspect. Nah. Yeah. Well, and that's funny that you mentioned that before when you mentioned Spielberg. I was going to say, like, there are kind of some Jurassic Park kind oh, of for vibes sure. with this movie. Because you've got all these different situations happening on this island. It's definitely different, but I, you could almost kind of see some parallels with it. I thought that was really interesting. But I also do feel like this reminds me of Evangelion, too. Like, when everything gets crazy and all of the military are freaking out. And you see all these text screens uh, as their, like, uh, their, like headquarters or like their home base gets infected by the virus there there's all this kind of fast-paced like uh drama to what they're doing so that's that's pretty cool so so they're successful and what this does is it disables the collars that everybody's wearing and uh they don't have a map to monitor everything because so the collars we didn't mention they actually uh Find find out that they're mic, right, yeah. so they can hear yeah, everything. Yeah, the, the that same hacker, f- yeah, finds it yeah. out. and um, cool. at the beginning of the movie, they tell you that it monitors their heartbeat and uh, you know, basically their health, so they can tell when somebody's dead. So um, just as these guys are victorious, they're um preparing a bomb that they're gonna kind of drive into the headquarters. But uh, Kiriyama finds them, and he kills all three of them. But uh, not before uh, the the kind of the leader of this group, he uh, detonates this bomb. So this is kind of uh, stationing the finale uh, for Kiriyama and uh, our last survivors. So Kiriyama is like completely disoriented because of this this explosion, and that uh, kind of. Uh, it's funny that that's what it takes to be able to beat him <laughs> is is being like blinded right. and, and messed up and yeah he's like more than man he's like this he's this weird like demon yeah, like he literally looks demonic right. with like like it almost looks like his mascara was running because <laughs> he has like these long black streaks down yeah. his eyes um yeah. and he's like has like the blind like like the contacts you wear to make it look like you're blind um yep. And how about these uh, Sephiroth-like uh, images? For real, of... and there's like fire everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's walking out of the like burning building. Mm-hmm. It totally reminded me of Sephiroth. And you kind of in the music cue, you kind of have these choral uh, <laughs> uh, like voices. Like so, it's like totally like yeah. Sephiroth. <laughs> oh. Oh. This is basically Final Fantasy VII, is what we're saying. So sure, I you know it's these. I bring up Evangelion. I bring up yeah, Final Fantasy. These all, were like so yeah. influential in Japanese culture at that time that I can definitely, definitely. see them influencing. Yeah, these are all within a few um, years of each other. But then Quad yeah, is, yeah. and like a lot of those motifs are just so powerful. I mean, similar to like the juxtaposition of a kind of classical music with a kind of scene, like being in this like field of fire is just such a striking mm-hmm. image oh yeah it looks so cool so then uh kawada's like all right this is my chance to take this dude out and i don't know if he knew that kiriyama was blind at the time but when he cocks his shotgun uh kiriyama uh, responds to that with gunfire right away so um they basically have a little shootout and uh, kawada is able to kill kiriyama by shooting him like right on his collar and making it explode and i think this is really cool you would you would think in a 
a kung fu movie there'd be like a huge finale fight but they actually don't celebrate him that much right he's just treated like another victim amongst all these other students so and yeah the whole point of this film is like not to kind of like revel in yeah combat. exactly exactly that's what that's how i feel about it so it works really well so now the last three survivors are nanahara noriko and kawada and he's actually been injured in the fight um but what happens is he tells them like i said before like you're not supposed to trust me so you're kind of starting to see like what's what's really happening here you know like because uh kitano is listening to the conversation and Kawada is like, it's over for you guys. And you hear two gunshots. They don't show you what happened. But the military, they're like, all right, we got to go and confirm these kills. But at mm-hmm. the same time, Kitano's like, oh, mission mm-hmm. over. Yeah. Like, this is it. Game over. And then, yeah. and and they're then like, he Wait, walks what? over. All throughout the movie, he's been eating these cookies that he took from one of the, from one of the students. Oh, and he right. just walks over so and, and eats another one of the cookies. Yeah, those are actually the cookies that Noriko made for the trip. So he's been eating those cookies mm-hmm. that Noriko made herself. And also there was this there's this really almost um kind of mysterious flashback uh earlier in the film uh which you were saying Carlos they like reposition in the special edition well, the I the they don't reposition it, but they oh, they okay. they play it as you see it in this version. But at the end of the film, there's like an epilogue that elaborates on mm-hmm. that scene. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, so uh, Noriko has this dream where she's uh, she's with the uh, the their teacher, and they're like eating ice cream by this. Uh, this weird yeah this beach on this overcast day and they're saying something to each other but we can't hear what it is but you do have the sense that he has um he has this kind of connection with her so it doesn't seem accidental that he's like eating her cookies (laughs) i guess the whole movie right and uh now finally the military leaves kitano is still in the school and you see kawada show up and they acknowledge each other so you understand that hey this was kind of a planned situation and uh him and kawada are talking it over and he says that kawada actually was able to hack that they don't really explain if that's the case or not or no i think he isn't he asking him he's like oh did you hack the thing and he's like no i didn't do that wasn't wasn't me (laughs) so but but what ends up happening is that Kitano says, oh, you cheated, so he holds a gun up to him. But just as this is happening, you see that Nanahara and Noriko show up. So, um, so Kitano yeah, what we already, thought What we thought yeah. we knew happened didn't really happen. Which so I'm maybe so glad. Taking advantage of the microphones I'm or something. I'm so glad. Because yeah, whenever I totally. first saw it, I'm like, that's a weak twist. Like, oh, the guy that was super nice and risked his life for them several times, now he's going to turn on them? Okay, whatever. But so yeah, right. so whenever they came in, I was like, okay, that's good. I feel like I've watched way <laughs> too many things recently where it's like, oh, hey, you didn't see that coming, huh? It's like, well, no, <laughs> but I didn't see it coming because it's dumb. <laughs> because it's dumb, that's, yeah. Oh, man, it's... you should put that on the shirt. <laughs> With a big picture of the oh. Game of Thrones on it. Oh, Anyways, dude. that's another, that's a different conversation. Fist in the air. No, no. I feel, I, dude, I feel different conversation. hard on that. This is a good movie. Yeah. So, yeah, the two of them come <laughs> yeah. in, and Kitano reveals to them this, like, 
really weird like painting that he made that's like of all yeah. the students it, murdering each other but noriko is like and it's like very child yeah it's like it's very childlike this painting and i guess you see glimpses of it um earlier in the movie mm-hmm. um it hasn't been colored in yet but yeah it's there's something there's something really chilling about how it, it yeah it almost looks like it would be hung up for like a kindergarten class except it's like these gruesome <laughs> graphic depictions of how everyone was killed um but at the center of this piece of art um unharmed is uh noriko who's almost depicted like some kind of angel mm-hmm. or something and from what i've heard uh bita keshi actually made that piece himself oh wow and- I think that this scene, especially here where we are, really portray. This is like Bitakeshi. Like if you're familiar with his work and how he likes to deliver his messages in film, like I think this really yeah. comes across. It's very well. slow so, and um, like deliberate with everything that happens. And then there's like some kind of surrealist stuff going on too. So yeah. um, he confesses his love for Noriko and Nanahara. This whole time's kind of committed to protecting her but he you see he's kind of scared but uh what happens here is uh kitano raises a gun to noriko and he's like shoot me like i kind of read it like i almost read it like he understands like how he feels is not right and he maybe right. he feels like he deserves to die because yeah, it's of almost it. like send me to hell or something yeah so as he's just about to shoot her Nanahara shoots him. And uh, the thing that I think is really well executed is he's got a squirt gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you realize that too late. So he, he knew, he knew he was going to die there and um, he gets shot and he collapses and you have this kind of moment of silence. And then the kids are distracted by a cell phone. And as the cell phone rings, you then see, kitano get up and you're like whoa like this is really weird all of a sudden yeah and um he answers the phone and it's his daughter who um there's a scene earlier in the film of him talking to her and she's like really really cold to him so you kind of get this kind of sympathetic sense out of him and you kind of understand a little bit about his motivation more because of it and um he tells her hey i'm not gonna be back and uh, she's starting to be rude with him, so he then <laughs> throws the phone and shoots it. Yeah, and um, and then he eats. What, but he it's does. interesting, isn't it the same gun that was the squirt gun? It's not. Well, I, I'm I just rewatched oh, it okay. now, and it was one that was just on the couch. Oh, okay, so nice. yeah, awesome. He he eats what is the last cookie out of that uh, container, and his his and last then, words are "damn good cookies," and then he falls over dead. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Ugh. It's so and it's so weird, but like like you said, yeah. it's very surreal. Even though like right. nothing, you know, it's not surreal in that like there's weird like you know stuff going on all around. It's just that him like getting shot a billion times, standing up to do one last thing, and then dying. Mm-hmm. And so then we we get to see our three heroes driving away on a on a boat, and there's kind of a recurring joke that every time. Uh, every time Kawada's doing something that he probably oh, shouldn't yeah, know how to great. do, they, he says like, "Oh, my dad's a doctor," and then at this point he's like, "Oh, my, oh, my dad's dad a fisher." A yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's awesome. And then um, uh, once it seems like the other two kind of have control over the boat, uh, he goes to sort of 
lay down on the deck and um it kind of becomes clear that he's not doing so great <laughs> yeah he does the the cool guy thing of like of uh, talking about you know how he's he's finally kind of uh, learned he finally understood why uh keiko was smiling whenever uh she died and he lights up a cigarette and and lays down dies on the back of the boat yeah i really i really liked kawada's character mm-hmm. Throughout the yeah. film. Actually, yeah, like I said, Kiriyama too, uh, both of the transfer students in the film, I thought were really cool in different ways. And it's fascinating. The actor who plays Kawada is a guy named uh, Taro Yamato, or Taro Yamamoto, rather. And he actually is like, uh, he's led like a, a super, like, super left wing political party in Japan that's oh, yeah oh, wow. he's like super politically involved and like was a huge activist after like the fukushima nuclear meltdown once like banned all nuclear power and stuff from japan it's just it's just so interesting that's like what his big thing on his on his page now is an actor it's that he's a politician and a former actor wow that's super <laughs> interesting. and he's pretty young too that's he's really I mean, cool. 44 so but then we get our final uh kind of epilogue kind of scene where we see that the uh, Nanahara and Noriko are kind of wanted fugitives. It's funny, it says they're wanted for murder, which mm-hmm. is just, it's so funny after, like, if the one kid, if you were the one kid that got away from it, you wouldn't have been wanted for murder, but because you're running away. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like the puppet masters mm-hmm. can't, they can't allow them to win on their own terms mm-hmm. or escape on their, um, and yeah, it's a really interesting motif in this final scene. Uh, I don't know. I almost kind of interpreted it as like uh, Fukasaku's sort of saying like it or kind of posing this question. It's like, is our world like that much different than what's going on on the island? And obviously I think, no, hopefully. <laughs> but, <laughs> hopefully uh, not, but, but is it man? But yeah, it's, it's but yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> it's like them kind of reintegrating in society, um, having just experienced those, those horrors um yeah it's it's some some food for thought and yeah surprising way to end the movie but i think super satisfying yeah i think so too and that's the movie that's that's battle royale Whew, that is i'm so glad you guys liked it yeah. no <laughs> Dude, i it was, really liked yeah, it a it lot it was amazing yeah it's awesome and i again i it like is- that the how it handles the tone because a movie yeah, like this totally. could just be completely dismal and drab and and feel like like a I feel like you have to like work. Like you might still think it's good at the end of it, but you would never want to watch it again. But I would definitely right. watch or, this movie. Or again. it would be, or it would be like super sensationalist or something. Yeah, yeah. Or it would be like super exploitative and over the top and and whatever. But that's maybe something that reminds me of Jurassic Park more than it taking place on an island or anything like that. It's that interesting tone where Jurassic Park feels like this adventure movie. Um, but it's motivated by this like horror and terror, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you want to watch it again and again. And I yeah. could see myself um, really kind of almost always being in the mood for battle Royale, which I never would have yeah. <laughs> imagined <laughs> saying based on the movie. I thought it, you know, uh, we were going to watch. Yeah. Cool. Great. That's great. I would say that you don't have to watch the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the sequel, like not good. That's no, what what's I heard. the sequel even so about? His, so his so his son wrote the screenplay of the first movie, right? 
And then uh, he, I, I can't remember, but yeah, I think yeah, Ken, he, Kenta Fukasaku. I think yeah, he ends same. up being the director because sadly, uh, Kinji Fukasaku passed from cancer. He was able to shoot one scene for the sequel, but uh, that was it. And um, the movie, the plot, it's like Nanahara, like kind of is leading this terrorist organization that's kind of formed like by other survivors from battle royale and they're kind of taking down the program itself but i just i i watched it like once and i was like i don't like this movie at all and it i feel like the first movie is all you really need it's it, gotcha. it's unnecessary i don't know i maybe i should revisit it and maybe i'll like it more but i just know that's not interesting i mean i feel like that kind of thing happens often when a movie was an adaptation from a book and yeah, and the sequel. Those isn't... filmmakers go off to make their own sequel. And yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, I guess you do have, you definitely have ownership over the movie, but not like total ownership. And um, I don't know. I think a lot of great stories, like they're built really tightly around the concept and the theme, and um, the characters are built around that theme. You can't necessarily pick them up and then um, place them into a different sort of story that isn't mm-hmm. as like custom built for that but um although yeah still still be curious to see it although a piece of media that did kind of do that in a, in a weird way that we haven't haven't mentioned which some people might think is kind of an elf in the room is hunger games because hunger yeah, games i was just i was just thinking it's like that that might be one of the the biggest um kind of uh yeah, never mind. Cut what I said. <laughs> well, no, it's. I mean, it's not. I guess the thing that frustrates me with it is that it isn't a ripoff. It really is. Like, yes, it is. They are both about teenagers killing each other because of a fascist dictatorship. But they are like they approach it in a very different way. It's more of like a gladiators like event in Hunger Games, mm. whereas in this, it's like almost like a controlling method. And it's not like big and publicized right. and, you know, doesn't have a weird like reality show grandeur to it. Um, sure, but also sure. most of the Hunger Games series is about like the consequences and like what people do after it and like how you deal with it. Not just oh. about the, the fight itself. Mm. The other yeah, thing that we should mention, too, that I can't believe I forgot until now was... Um, the running man uh, you know, <laughs> oh yeah totally i mean and that also has a reality show that is very yeah, much a reality show thing before Ma- there were even hmm. there were even real reality shows yeah matthew you were mentioning that i is it in the manga version they're televising the yeah Battle and Royale they do they thing? do mention that they kind of televise it i don't think it's quite like one of those it, it in the manga i'm not sure if it's in the book too they call it the program mm-hmm. They don't call it Battle oh. Royale, so okay. but yeah, they they sh- like it is shown to the to the world, and they've got those collars on, you know, like the Running Man too. Yeah, yeah, same idea. I'm I have a feeling that he probably because Running Man's a that's a Stephen King like something yeah, or other, right? Or it, it's like it's a, it's a, it might be a Richard Bachman, but it's still Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. I love the Running Man. That movie. Yeah, rocks. Running Man's great. God, I should watch that after <laughs> after we're done recording this. Yeah, that's like yeah for sure. Good Pete idea. Arnold. Um. Anyways, next week is the Running Man. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk. About yeah. What is our training for next week, Carlos? So, um, around the same time, I feel like we need to talk about Takashi Miike. And if you're gonna talk about Takashi Miike, 
I feel like you got to talk about Ichi the Killer. Takashi Miike has done like a million gajillion movies, Mm -hmm. but I think for the podcast, this will be a good spot for us to start. So uh, this film came out in 2001, um, controversial in its own ways. Um, I'm really excited to revisit it. And uh, yeah, that'll be our next episode. This will be great. Good stuff. Well, until next week, where we're taking a look at Ichi the Killer, directed by Takashi Miike. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.